You are listening to a podcast from Vineyard Church of Augusta. For more information, visit vineyardaugusta.org. And this morning, uh, we have the pleasure of inviting Dan Wager. Uh, Dan is uh, a former staff member here. He was actually our first full-time youth pastor back in the 90s. Yes, back in the 90s. And uh, now uh, Dan is the lead chaplain uh, at formerly University Hospital, now Piedmont Medical, uh, where he has he's doing an amazing ministry there and leading an amazing ministry. And, and so would you guys please join me in welcoming Dan as he uh, takes us in our next uh, segment of Unwrapping the Gifts of the Holy Spirit. All right. How's that? Okay, good. That's a good start for me. <laughs> hey, thanks. Um, it's been a while. I know most of y'all haven't been up here in a long time, so bear with me, okay? Uh, even just collecting my thoughts these days is kind of hard, and I tried to organize this, and I managed to screw up all the slides, sending them in after Roger gave me instructions. So uh, I'll try and kind of keep this down the middle of the road, okay? <laughs> and we'll hopefully get to the end of the road without kind of hitting it in the ditch somewhere, but... <laughs> That's kind of setting the bar low, isn't it, you know? <laughs> um, this morning, okay, so they're talking about gifts of the Spirit uh, in, in, this, uh, uh, in this sermon series. And Reese Collins said, would you be interested in speaking in one? And I said, well, yeah, I, I guess. I, um, I, because my immediate re- reaction was, um, uh, <clears throat> I think, Reese, the only thing I could really speak on with integrity in the sense that I use this gift consistently and have for 30 years is a gift of praying and speaking in tongues. Now, that is generally cross-board considered the weirdest and silliest of gifts and the one that people have the most instinctive reaction to. And so what I'd like to do today is, uh, is offer you, I wrote this down, an explanation an apologetic, meaning kind of a, uh, a defense in the classical way of it. This is why we do it. And an invitation. Um, I want to start by recommending three or four books to you. Um, after a graduate degree in U.S. history and a graduate degree in divinity school, um, you know, I don't, probably a lot of y'all make a lot more money than I do. I've wasted a lot of money. But, <laughs> but uh, I've got some books to recommend to you. <laughs> So, uh, um, if you would uh, flash that first one up there, um, there's three or four books, and I'm going to, um, the first one is uh, uh, Wayne Grudem. It's, now, this is for you true hardcore nerds out there. It's, it's a systematic theology, uh, and uh, he is a PhD, Trinity uh, Seminary in Deerfield, older guy now who's been a friend of the vineyard for many years, Rich Nathan who's a, uh, um, a vineyard pastor in Columbus, Ohio, and he is, uh, gosh, he's been there 30 years, and their church is like 7,000 people, and I mean, when they plant a church, they send out 200 people in a full-time paid staff, you know, um, and that's called Empowered Evangelicals. He wrote it about 20 years ago, and it speaks exactly to what I'm going to be kind of driving at this morning, uh, and then, of course, the book of Acts, and then where we've been kind of camping out, 1 Corinthians, where you really get kind of a, a look at uh, a church service in the New Testament era, which I think is, is kind of fascinating. 
Okay, then what, show the next ones there. Thanks. Uh, Jack Deere, this guy was a PhD Old Testament professor at Dallas Theological Seminary uh, for many years. In the late 80s, he had a real kind of shift in practical theology and came into the vineyard and became real friends of the vineyard, eventually left his position there at Dallas Theological Seminary uh, to pursue other things that God was doing in the way of introducing him to the gifts of the Holy Spirit as they work out in our lives. He wrote a book called Surprised by the Power of the Holy Spirit. I can't recommend enough. It's probably close to 30 years old. He just released another one called uh, Still Surprised by the Power of the Spirit. And I had a chuckle. I was like, did you need Christmas money or something? You know, it's like re-release the uh, third greatest hits album or something. And, uh, uh, and then Carol Wimber, you know, <clears throat> John Wimber was the lead guy with the Vineyard, uh, the first national director, Carol Wimber, and, and, a, and a group out there in Anaheim. This whole thing, just this whole church movement emerged. And after John died, she wrote the book. This is the one I probably will recommend the most highly for a personal account called The Way It Was, a little paperback book. And she just describes her experience uh, with the gift of tongues, with John's experience with the gift of tongues. And it's, it's pretty funny how it, it plays out. The last one is a history of the vineyard called Quest for the Radical Middle by Bill Jackson. That came out uh, 20 years ago. And uh, in it, he, you just see the emergence of these gifts of the Spirit and people uh, trying to deal and process and, and figure out what's going on uh, with all this. The last thing I'd like to do is recommend our own uh, School of Kingdom Ministry. It's a vineyard, uh, it's a vineyard program that was started in Illinois, but it, it, it's something we've been doing effectively here for years. Don Pearson's in charge. Talk to him if you're interested in it. It's a nine-month course in um, doing ministry uh, through the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And uh, uh, it just is a, it's, it's just, if you really want to get into this, that's how, that's how you do it. You, you just got to go for it. You got to apply yourself. This isn't some academic exercise. I'm here to tell you as an academic, this is not an academic exercise. It's a doing thing. And we can camp out in our heads all we want. In fact, the church in the West has spent two centuries kind of camping out in its head half the time. And then when people actually start doing it, they're like, what's going on? Well, we're kind of doing a ministry. <laughs> so, uh, um, where was I? Let me ask you this. How many, how many of y'all are familiar with gift of tongues or praying in the Spirit? How many, uh, how many actually, be brave, how many actually do this? How many of really have no experience reading or studying it or doing it at all? That's cool. Um, good. I, I was just trying to get a feel for this because this is what I suspected. Once you get into a, a, a group of people, it's just a wide variety of experiences. And I respect that. That's kind of reflective of how culture is. Now, let's see. Hey, go to the, uh, let's see, what's the next slide after this? Okay, let me read that. Um, that's uh, 1 Corinthians, uh, it's supposed to be 13.1. You know, you start reading through the scriptures and this stuff starts popping out when you're looking for it. And the speaking in tongues, it just kind of bubbles up and you're kind of expecting it. You know, when you read Paul's letters, he just kind of shifts into this question and answer mode and you don't really have the background and the context. So he's just answering questions that obviously came to him in a letter uh, from the other direction. And he says, now, shifting to speaking in tongues and gifts of the Spirit... And he should have said in parentheses, when we're a ch together in church. So the first thing he says in that famous passage in, in 1 Corinthians 13, if I speak in the tongues 
of men and of angels. And you you have to stop and say, okay, what's the difference? There's a difference. He's implying there's a difference. And then uh, what's the next slide? Uh, And then then the next chapter, he starts off this. Earnestly pursue love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially gift of prophecy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries in the spirit. Now, I'm thinking, okay, we're talking about something really different here. And I'm curious what's going on here. And so it's kind of up to us as we grow up in our faith to explore this stuff and, get, and wrap our heads around it. And if it's good and it's wise and it's godly to incorporate it into our experiences. Um, let's see. What's, go to the next slide. Okay. How many of y'all, that's kind of been your impression of Christianity, kind of concert venue, very emotional people with this ecstatic looks on their faces. I was raised Episcopalian, man. We didn't do this. You know? <laughs> this was definitely not allowed. I mean, my wife's from Brazil, and down there, the Baptists in Brazil, man, they raise their hands and get expressive. She showed up at Baptist Church here and stood up one day, and everybody around her just looked at her like, what are you doing, you know? And... Uh, so for some of us, you know, when I came into my relationship with the Lord in my 20s, that, that, was, that was new to me. Okay, go to the next slide. Or maybe your impression of, of, of tongues is this. You see this all the time. I'm not trying to demean these people. Trust me on this. But uh, you see that it's, it's a one person with a microphone, and it's just about them walking around, and, and this power is happening in various ways. Okay, then go to the next one. Or maybe it's this. This is what I was used to. It's some learned, scholarly-looking man saying, well, I'm not sure about this. We need to think, blah, 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 blah. And another guy asking the wise and old man questions, okay? Like, man, so I just kind of want to, all of that. <laughs> because, we're, because we approach this stuff through our culture, through our cultural lenses, you know? And, and it's just, it can be really difficult Stepping away from that and stepping outside of that and stepping back from that and saying, all right, God, what are you doing? Because at some point, like I said, as we grow up in Christ, we have to take ownership of this stuff and not be just robots that are told by everybody, this is what you do, this is what you don't do. You've got to find your own voice. Pun, well, no pun intended, but it was clever anyway. But <laughs> Now, tongues, as it appears in the book of Acts often manifests as people speaking a language they don't know, which others hear and understand. That's Acts 2. Huge. Reversal, the curse of, of uh, Tower of Babel in Genesis. And then, uh, and then, but you go in, you see it again, Acts 10, where Peter says, yeah, the Spirit came upon them, on the Gentiles, just like it did us in the beginning. And they're trying to figure out what's going on. And then in Acts 19, where Luke says, hey, we rolled into town, and these guys hadn't, uh, you know, and then they got, he said, the Holy Spirit came on them like it came on us. And so uh, you, you see this unfolding sense of process, I guess you'd call it, in people's experience of the Lord. And then um, once you get to 1 Corinthians 13 and 14, it speaks of something different than that. Because you can make the argument that's all about speaking in another worldly language. He's starting to uh, uh, refer to something entirely different. And when you talk, you know, men of tongues and angels, I mean, men of, tongues of men and angels, you know, you think, okay, that, wow, this is getting kind of interesting or weird, whichever way you look at it. And I want this morning to kind of demystify it to a degree if I can, 
I think that's one of the things I've loved learning the vineyard is that there's neat stuff, but you can get pretty kind of like what we've seen on the other slides. And that our, our primary purpose in, in praying in tongues, praying the Spirit, speaking in tongues, is, um, is personal, it's a personal prayer and worship language. And it's for our own edification, meaning it, uh, it promotes our growth as, as disciples in Christ, and, and it promotes our daily life and experience in Christ. And <clears throat> I also want to say to you this, because this is part of my journey, and I hear it from other people. If you have a, a experience that you, a common experience, something that happens to you commonly of wanting more to be expressed out of you when praying, man, then this gift is for you. I, I promise you it's for you. I didn't just walk right into it. I, it my, my journey was, was a little kind of circumventing and get to my elbow, to my, around my elbow to my thumb, as they say, which is kind of the story of my life. But when we uh, go to that next slide. Um, I love this story by, by Wimber when, when he first becomes, uh, uh, this, John Wimber's like Mickey Mantle to me. He just, you know, it, the reason is he was so real, and he kind of, his own person just set the tone for our entire association of churches across the world. And I thought, what a gift to the body of Christ. And one of the things he said was, uh, um, uh, he, he said that um, when he came into the church as a, as a new believer, no background whatsoever, and he walks in, and, 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 or he's walking out of the service. A guy throws his arm around him and says, have you been baptized in the blood, brother? And he goes, when do we do that? <laughs> and I thought, exactly. You know, you, you, all of a sudden, you're just throwing somebody into some language, and, and it's all new. It's all new to them. And I thought, when he told that story, it's like, hey, that's how I felt, you know? Because in, in my early 20s, when I was uh, seeking the Lord and taking ownership of my faith as an adult, man, I was reading everything I could get my hands on about the ministry of the Holy Spirit because I had told the Lord, you know, if we're going to do this, I've been in boring church most of my life. I want to do this, Lord. And <clears throat> I, I kept looking. I kept reading. I, there was a buddy of mine from college. We roomed together. He was working here. And he came into the vineyard and introduced me to the vineyard. And I found other people who kind of had that same mindset. And then there was a, there was a, a big, somebody came to town uh, at the Bell Auditorium, and it turns out this person was out of this whole Pentecostal word of faith movement out from, I think it was Oklahoma. And, well, at the end of the first night, I didn't care. I was so curious about tongues. I'd go whenever, wherever somebody was talking about it. You know, and gifts of the Spirit, don't get me wrong, there's a lot of stuff. But I went down there and... There was an altar call to get saved. There's an altar call speaking speaking tongues. If you wanted to do that type of thing, and I said, okay, I'll go down to that back room with 50 other people. It's kind of weird, but well, you know, they had us line up in about four different lines of maybe 10 people, and and the guy got up on a small box. He's in a suit, and he and he read a basic exposition of why tongues and what it is, and then we had to open our mouths and start making noise. And it didn't happen for a few minutes, and he was coming along the line and praying for me, and, or, or praying for people, and they stopped me. He prayed on me for about five seconds, and he kept moving. And I tell, you, I tell you what, 60 seconds later, something changed. I wasn't just making silly sound, well, sounds. <laughs> something was flowing. And it was just like any other language. I had to open my mouth and move my mouth and my tongue, but something was flowing out. It was very different. And 
then I probably went back to Atlanta where I was living at the time, lost any type of faith that I had had this experience, got discouraged, and then I wound up back here about eight months later visiting my buddy Steve, and we came to church that morning, and Thor was talking about speaking in tongues. And he said, anybody wants to speak, come up and, and we'll pray for you. And I, and I came up, and I remember it was Thor and another guy named John Dobbs who ended up rooming with another, uh, Karen Handy, who was a PT down at MCG at the time, and, and they, they laid hands on me, and just bang, instantly. And I just remember looking up, surprised, and they're all kind of smiling, and, and it just kind of sealed the deal for me. That this, that this journey of seeking, which probably I made harder than was necessary, um, it, it's, it ends in this neat experience. And, I, and I've, I've never stopped in the middle of my life at some points. Maybe I don't exercise as much. But for 30 years now, through good times, through difficult times, through times even where I felt like I was walking away from the Lord, through when I was broke, when I was successful, when I was alone, when I was uh, not alone, when I was working hard, when I was lazy, <laughs> I mean, it was, it, this is a gift that I can speak to you with a sense of personal integrity and say it's real and that the gifts and callings of God, like the scripture says, are truly without repentance. That the Holy Spirit does live in you and God is faithful to you to continue this as you just turn, you know, you just turn in a moment. And let me tell you, as a hospital chaplain for 11 years, I use this gift daily. And I almost thank God we still have to wear masks so that people don't see my mouth moving when I'm walking down the hall just mumbling in tongues because I got six things in my mind and someone just you know, passed away and I'm coming back. And it gives me the ability to under my breath to just pray in the spirit because I'm feeling a lot. And I don't know really what to pray for, to be honest with you. I just know I need to worship. I need to, I need to ask the Holy Spirit to take over, so to speak. Um. <clears throat> Let's see. Reese had spoken of difficult times to worship. And this gift, it's been priceless in helping keep me relationally open to God when I can't find the words to express what I'm feeling or I'm at a loss for, of what to pray for. There's, there's been times when I've been in a room, somebody's dying. You know, I don't know. What do you say? Family's grieving. You know, if you're smart enough, you kind of shut up and, and just be present to them. But uh, when it's time to pray, uh, man, there's some time under my breath. I'm like, God, I don't know what to say. But uh, I'll give you one instance real quick. A lady was, um, she was having real, they suspected cancer. And, uh, and they, she'd been there a week already. And uh, I was, I'd visit her a couple times. And, and uh, it was, they were really drawing a conclusion. Yes, you have metastatic cancer. It started here. And it's, it's, it, it turned out it was all over her uh, colon. And so we kept talking, and I said, hey, as I was leaving, would you like to have a prayer? And she said, yes, please. And she kind of sat up in the bed and, and put her hands out in front of her. I mean, she was ready. And so, again, yes, we're going to pray for the obvious. But I just quietly, under my breath, was, I was praying in the Spirit because I didn't even know where to start. And then it was, it, the sense of clarity comes. And I got a mental image of Jesus in the, in the garden saying, I don't want to drink the cup of suffering. And I said, God, she's in the garden, and she doesn't want to drink the cup of suffering. You know? Boom! I mean, just sob. It was like someone uncorked uh, this loud sob and bawling tears. And it, 
you know, it's, and I thought, well, you know, wow, that's where she was. And so because of this, God's presence was there, and you could, I could put, kind of put my finger on where her heart and her soul was at that moment and, and, and say, yes, I see you there. God sees you there. And then say, God, show her how you're not going to leave her in the midst of her suffering, you know? So it happens. It happens all the time. And that doesn't have to be in a hospital, y'all. As some of y'all know, it can be in the office. It can be in the car. It can be your friend's house. It can be in a bar. It can be anywhere. <clears throat> this thing is for everywhere. So uh, uh, it, let's see, where was I? And I'm worshiping. Sometimes over there I'm worshiping. I want to express something more than words. I pray in the Spirit. Uh, it gives us a depth of experience we can't have otherwise. And it was of high value in Paul's desire for our Christian experience. Remember, he says, I wish you all spoke in tongues. Now, don't dismiss that when he's, when he's talking about saying, hey, but what, this is more important. But he prefaces him saying, I wish you all did. And I've noticed uh, that this, this gift, especially this gift, but the gifts in general, but this gift, it, it, it often accompanies a shift in our understanding of faith and, and what our faith worked, looks like day to day. On the day of Pentecost, remember this, there was this multi-sensory experience of the manifest presence of God. I mean, think about it. They're in this room, the emotion, the tension, and then they're praying, and, and then there's, was it, the room shook, and it looked, said something like, looks like tongues of flame on their head. Then they pour out in the street speaking different languages. I mean, I'm sorry, that's, they make movies about stuff like that. <laughs> I guess they have, haven't they? But... You know, at the same time, what we see throughout the New Testament in the wake of this is this type of experience is normative. It happens again and again. And I say that because it seems to be opposed to most of today's Christian experience, wherein the exercise of the gifts are often seen as weird or a reflection of ignorance and emotionalism or just irrelevant to life in Christ. Now, again, if you're in here and you've been in church here and you want to keep coming to church, this is in no way saying you don't belong. We gather around uh, the, the, the name and the person of Jesus. We gather around the Heavenly Father's love for his children in the person and work and ongoing ministry of Jesus. Okay? So this is not something that, yes, it, it, it's, it defines us at some level, but it's not, it's not designed as an exclusionary thing. I've had enough of that in Christianity. I've had enough of where, you, where Jesus is here and there's a circle. And if you believe this, you're out. If you believe this, you're in. You know, I think it's more accurate to say it's Jesus and there's no circle. It's just people in various places like dots and random dots on a board in relationship to him. So I need you to hear that. And also, um, I have a high amount of respect for the newness of the relationship um, and experience of Jesus for people. We were all seeking. Each individual is looking at some level. And I just so respect that. Somebody who's genuinely, authentically being vulnerable and saying, what are you doing, God? Who's God? What is, what, you know, we can take it back to the most basic. And I just love that. So I have a high amount of respect for people who will explore even the most strange or seemingly strange things. It can seem very foreign to us. Uh, individually, as a culture. And after 30 years, I've just concluded you have to be willing to accept that this Christian experience involves beliefs and practices which may seem odd 
or foreign or even weird to us in the modern or postmodern world. Now, the founder of Calvary Chapel in California, Chuck Smith, said 50 years ago, if you can get past the first verse of the Bible, everything else should be kind of downhill from there. You know? <laughs> I thought, yeah, that's right. And um, who defines what's weird? Who defines what's odd? I'm sorry. This is the weirdest I've ever seen in our culture. We are exploring new levels of weird. <laughs> so we should just be swimming with the other fish very easily at this point, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, a lot of freedom in that, you know. But if it looks uh, foreign to us, that's on us. That's on us. Uh, our question then should not be, how does this look? And, uh, yes, you do have to ask that. But it should be, what does the Bible say is normative for our Christian experience? That's a $20 question right there. And that's kind of the point of Acts in the letters, you know, in terms of belief and practice and character. What's normative? That's why we're reading it. Now, um, let's see. I think the next slide is church history. Um, yeah. I, in, in defense of that, I give you this. The outworking of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You know, it's often marked by tongues. People falling over is a lot of things. Tongues gets all the press, typically. But uh, it's always been looked down upon or even considered weird in, in uh, Western culture. The Moravians in the 15th century were experiencing this. The, uh, 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 the early Quakers, the Great Awakening in colonial America, the Azusa Street Revival in 1903, that was the birth of modern Pentecostalism. There, you know there's a, almost a billion people, I've heard as high as 800 million people in the world who claim a Pentecostal charismatic experience. That's incredible. That's almost one-eighth of the world's population. Uh, that started mainly in a, in, a, in a small building, stable, in Los Angeles in 1903 with this little multi-ethnic group of, uh, group of, uh, of a pastoral staff led by an African-American man uh, who just pastured it beautifully. And it led to the birth of what? Assemblies of God, right? Church of God, Church of God in Christ. There's all kinds of offshoots you've heard of that came out of that. Um, it, this led to the explosion of... Um, uh, let's see, the, the charismatic renewal movements of the 1950s and 60s throughout the United States, uh, the Toronto Blessing in the mid-90s. So what I'm saying is you are not just some offshoot randomly out here flaking out on everybody. You are, you are a part of a, a massively worldwide experience of Christ. Um, <clears throat> all these moves of God involved re-empowering the church to do his work of ministry. And they were largely ignored and misunderstood by the church at large in most of these generations. So uh, <clears throat> a last thought on that section is that many very intelligent, highly educated people have come before us and testified to this experience. PhDs, leaders in church culture from across the globe. All, I mean, it, it's just out there if you go looking for it. And uh, you're not ignorant and you're not a fool. Maybe in the eyes of the world you are, but we are. <laughs> you can't get away from that one by definition as Jesus followers. Um, let's see. The next slide, uh, what is it? Did I already get there? Yeah, what is it? Well, 1 Corinthians uh, 13.1, Paul refers to tongues of angels. Uh, 14.2, he says, speaks not to men 
but God and mysteries in the spirit. 1414, he says, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, my mind is unfruitful. So pulling from that, that thick, geeky uh, theology, systematic theology book, Wayne Grudem said, we may define this gift as follows. Speaking in tongues is a prayer or praise spoken in syllables not understood by the speaker. That's pretty straightforward. It's a, it's a prayer language. It's, it's a worship tool. It's a prayer aid, and it's an aid for your personal encouragement. Um, <clears throat> let's see. I think the, the next tongue, uh, next tongue, the next slide. <laughs> Sorry. Why do we need it? How is it useful? Um, it's, it's considered normative. You know, it's just normative. You pick it up and you read this, you think, this is what they're doing. Uh, I, I, I think in the study, if you study the New Testament in the first century church, uh, I, I just soundly renounced the idea that all this stuff ended in the first century when the apostles died out. And I can give you a half dozen books right now that will, done by people, again, much smarter, and I've done a lot of the research who can prove that. So this is, this, this is, this is to be considered normative. Uh, secondly, and this is kind of our framework here in the vineyard I want to lean into for a second, is we view the gifts of spirit as a toolbox, you know, you inside you, the Holy Spirit's inside of you. The gifts of the Spirit, the power of God resides inside of you. So in cer- certain situations, you're speaking in tongues. In another situation, God gives you a word of, of insight in someone's life. You'd have no way of knowing. If you've ever had that happen, it's pretty, it's pretty powerful. I mean, that's why everybody's going down to Madam What's-Her-Name on Washington Road, you know, because that's, that's the one that will get your attention. And, uh, uh, and then... It, it, it's on us to use the tools, you know. We, if we leave these packages unopened, it's just window dressing, isn't it? I mean, he wants us to open that up like the Tyco Night Glow racetrack that, we, that I got as a kid, man, or, you know, rip into it like the uh, $6 million man action figure I got. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, the second thing in the vineyard that we operate on is a framework that everyone gets to play. And I, I remember that. That, that, that came down straight from um, the vineyard in, uh, 30 years ago. The idea that, again with the, w- again with the slides, it's, it's not about somebody has all the power at the front and has the name on the, on the banner, you know. And it's not about the learned man sitting there telling you uh, this, that, or the other. Everybody gets to do this. And that's the beauty of it. And that's the power of it. Uh, it's, it, it's not for the special, it's not for the learned, it's not for the edgy, you know, it's for everybody. It doesn't even just happen in church. In fact, you're going to find your most amazing experiences typically happen well outside the church, because that's where God wants us. And uh, uh, not, this is safe in here. It's, it's, not as, it's not as easy when you're out there and people are looking at you, you know, weirdo. <laughs> and... Uh, um, and so, let's see, wait a minute. The third thing is, I want to say we don't establish ourselves around tongues or even gifts of the Holy Spirit. I think I just said this a minute ago. I'm going to say it again. We gather around our Heavenly Father's love for us in the person and work of Jesus. His death, His resurrection, His payment for our sin, and His ongoing mission of the world. It, it, again and again, we have to keep coming back to this because it's easy. This stuff's powerful. And it's easy to get caught up in it. That's why people get emotional, because it, 
it's life-altering at times. I know somebody's been healed. I, got the X, I saw the x-rays. You know, I, I mean, I've, I've seen, I've had a guy come up to me I never knew, never met him in my life. He was from California. And he told me exactly what my job was at the time of what I was hoping my, my next job. You know, I had just quit teaching. I'd come on staff at the vineyard like Risa talked about. And I feel this guy get up in my space. And again, I'm Episcopalian. I'm like, dude, you're too close. You're creeping me out. But I couldn't say anything because I was in the, in the, like this. And, and the first thing out of his mouth is, um, you're a teacher and you think you've been called to be in the ministry. Because I thought I was going to go plant a church at the time. And it just, how'd you know that? It turns out it was, it was Wimber's brother-in-law, and they'd come all the way from California. Never met the guy in my life. Then he really, then he really started explaining something that he, he had real insight into something was going on inside me. Nobody knew this. And so it's powerful. And so it can, it can alter you, you know, this whole shift in how you operate ministry. It, it can empower you, but can also overwhelm you. So, you, it, you know, so we're called to exercise some, some self-awareness. Uh, again, other denominations gather on various angles. In the vineyard, uh, there's this ongoing effort at merging the best of evangelical thought and practice with the best of Pentecostal thought and practice and kind of holding that intention. Historically, those things have been like magnets. They just always bounce off of each other. Again, please read Rich Nathan's book. It, it, it's, he goes into depth at this, and it's, it's excellent. And then Bill Jackson's uh, Quest for the Radical Middle. But we feel that this dynamic of combining these two approaches most clearly reflects the ministry of Jesus as it's passed on to the apostles. <clears throat> now, last one, how do we, uh, how, how, how do we um, experience the gift? I just put down, ask, seek, knock. You got to ask for it. May not happen. May not happen for six months. May not happen for a year. It may never happen. I don't know. I can't predict what's going to happen to you. Then again, you may, excuse me, do like some people, they're just praying, and all of a sudden different, different words start coming out of their mouth. I've met people and heard of that too, so I don't know. But pray and seek, ask and seek. If you, if, if you want experience, you just got to ask for it, and you got to start trying to do it. It's just like any gift. We can ask, then we open our mouths, and we make sounds. Now, this can be, you can be, we're so self-conscious. Me, I'm the worst, but... I don't know what to tell you. Grow up, get real. It's the way it is. <laughs> so thanks, y'all. Thanks for letting me share that and listening to me. And, uh...